Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Dan Hunter, Booktopia's Fiction Category Manager, and this is a podcast about books and the brilliant people who read them and write them. Matthew Riley is uh, not only one of Australia's most popular authors, I'd say he's one of Australia's biggest cultural exports. Um, I imagine he's way up there with John Farnham and the Wiggles. <laughs> Uh, and if you've ever read uh, any of his books, uh, it's easy to see why he commands hundreds of thousands of readers uh, across the world. Uh, his work has totally changed the action thriller genre. He's unmatched for speed, for stakes, for violence, and for wild feats of the imagination. His latest novel is the sixth to feature Jack West Jr. It's Two Lost Mountains, and the man himself is with me over Zoom from his pad in LA, Matthew Riley. Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. Hey there, Ben. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. It's such a thrill to have you on. My heart is pounding just thinking about this new Jack West novel. Uh, I got a proof copy sent to me and I spent last night uh, just immersed in this wild race to prevent the end of the universe. Uh, straight off the bat, can we give the... Uh, ultra fans a, a little taste of what they can expect in the two lost mountains. Uh, what they can expect is absolutely non-stop frenetic action. I, I mean, as you said, this is the sixth book in the Jack West series. It started with seven ancient wonders. And since then we've gone six sacred stones, five greatest warriors, four legendary kingdoms, three secret cities. And now we're at the two lost mountains. And, for the big fans, the big fans will know this series sort of has two halves. The first half was seven, six, and five. This, now, this half now began with the four legendary kingdoms. And it really was, that was a rocket ship of a book. That was just blindingly fast. And it was setting up the three secret cities, which has now really rolled straight into the two lost mountains. So the dilemmas that Jack faced in three secret cities they roll straight into the two lost mountains. He's got to find himself one of the five iron mountains and two of them have been lost. The locations have been lost in antiquity, hence the two lost mountains of the title. And he's behind the bad guys all the way through this book. He's playing catch up. <laughs> it really is. Uh, we'll come back to Jack West in a moment. Uh, mm. I, I want to just ask uh, where it all started for you quickly. Um, you know, you, you grew up in a, in a well-to-do suburb in Northern Sydney. You went to a, a posh Catholic school and then you went on to study <laughs> law. Uh, yeah. Why did you write your first novel as a teenager? And uh, why did you then self-publish it? I was a big fan of action movies. I grew up watching Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Aliens, Predator, The Hunt for an October, and my favourite of all time, Die Hard. And... I was, I was at law school and I was reading lots of fiction, Tom Clancy, Michael Crichton, Jeffrey Archer, John Grisham. And I was saying to myself, why isn't anybody doing action, which is as big as the movies that I love? And so Contest, the first book, which I self-published because it got rejected by everybody, it was my first attempt at a book which had the action of a scale of the movies. And it it, I enjoyed it and it worked and no publisher wanted it. So I self-published it and got discovered that way. And the next book, Ice Station, 
that took it to a whole new level. I mean, if you compare contest to ice station, contest is me with the trainer wheels on, but ice station, it's just, it's big in every conceivable way. Uh, so that's what got me started, just enjoying reading and then saying to myself, why aren't the stories bigger? And as you can see now, they've, they've really got really, really, really big. Yeah, I mean, Contest is, is, is discovered in a bookshop by a, yes. a, a publishing agent or, or a commissioning editor of Pam Macmillan. And then you've just Correct. stayed with Pam Macmillan the whole way through. That's and then right. with iStation, you just immediately found this enormous audience. Uh, how did it yeah. feel to suddenly get so big for someone who's so young in author years? Yeah, uh, well, it, I am unusual. I was 24. Uh, when iStation came out, which is young in author years. The most satisfying thing that I ever read about iStation, uh, it was a line which Macmillan eventually put it on the, the back cover of the book. And it was a reviewer who said, this is unlike any other modern Australian novel. And I was really pleased to be doing something different. And, and I've had a lot of Australian uh, school students say to me over the years, I didn't know I could do action stories from Australia. Nobody does that. And I'm, I didn't set out to sort of be a role model or anything, but it's nice to show them that it can be done. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what guided me. I, 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 I'm a very, I may look really complex and, you know, uh, I don't know, different, but I'm a pretty simple guy. And I just like a good story and I like a big blockbuster action story. So the biggest advantage I have is I'm the kind of guy who'd read a Matthew Riley book. So it's, it's as simple as that. I love it. And, and I, I, I'm interested right away that you mentioned school uh, age readers. Because uh, mm. now it's, it's, it's 20 years later, Matt, and you, you now mm. command readers across the, the globe and they're all different ages that have come to your books at different mm. times. Uh, mm. How, how does it feel to, to have the kind of phenomenon grow that much? And how do you tap into that same energy that drove you all those years ago as, as a guy in his early 20s to, to produce this stuff? And how do, you, how do you cultivate that same energy and keep bringing it to a bigger and greater level with every novel? It's an addiction. Uh, the, the creative moment is an addiction and every time I finish a book I, I stop I take a break and you know I wonder will I feel that that buzz again and when I start every new book and and get into page one and and write for a week I'm just buzzed I just enjoy it and there's an old you know there's an old maxim that what do writers do writers write I enjoy that process. I enjoy having something at the end of the day, which I didn't have at the start. And I have a simple rule with each new book. It must be better than the one before it in some way. It has to be faster. It has to be bigger. Maybe it has to be a new story. Like the tournament was a historical mystery thriller, all told from the point of view of a 13 year old girl. So that's, you know, challenging myself as a writer, but how do you, if I ever get, tired of it or if I ever get to the point where I'm not trying to better myself that is the time to stop but I, I love meeting my fans the, 
COVID notwithstanding, you know, book signings have always been tremendous fun for me to, to see people who enjoy the books. So you want to do it for them and, and you want to do it for yourself. Keep building a better mousetrap. I love that uh, the addiction runs strong, Matt. Uh, it's, a, it's also, I should also mention, when you do a series, like hmm. the Seven Wonders series, that's even more important that the next book be better than the one before it. Each book in this series, I think, has got faster and more intense. And yeah, so even within a series, you've got to make sure each one's better than the one before it. Yeah, because you've got more and more fans that are on the line waiting for the next one, Matt. Um, mm. for, for readers who don't know Jack West Jr., who is this wild guy with a Luke Skywalker bionic arm? And uh, what makes him tick? So, yeah, Jack West Jr., you know, began life in the, in the book Seven Ancient Wonders. And uh, he's sort of like a 21st century Indiana Jones. He, he's Australian by birth. He was in the SAS, but he, he didn't quite enjoy it. And to keep him occupied, the Australian military sent him off to archaeologist school. And he went to Trinity College in Dublin. And he spent... He, he got involved in this mission to save a little girl back in Seven Ancient Wonders and, and save the world from a, uh, a solar event connected with the Great Pyramid at Giza. And in the last six books, he's travelled around the world finding these booby-trapped ancient places in and around the pyramids and Stonehenge and Easter Island. And, uh, and now, you know, with with Two Lost Mountains, we, we venture to places like Mont Blanc and Mont Saint-Michel in northern France. And oh. if you haven't seen Mont Saint-Michel, just Google it. Uh, it's yeah, stunning. I did. And, uh, Incredible. Uh, and I, I've, I, I kept that up my sleeve for many years because I travelled there once. God, it must have been back in about 2003. So Jack West, he is this indomitable hero who doesn't want the spotlight, doesn't want to be famous, really just wants to go back and live on his farm out in the Simpson Desert. But he gets pulled out to go on these missions to basically not just save the world, but now as we come to the final three books in this series, he's pretty much got to stop the collapse of the universe itself. So he's a good guy in a storm. You want him out there fighting for you, that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, not only you have this weird guy, Jack, you've, you've got this brilliant clandestine family of, of people yes. who are supporting him in his these quests and trials uh yes. and it's a it's a really odd assortment you know you, you've got uh, his dear old mum yes you've got uh, right. some incredible right. warriors and pilots uh you've got some foul mouth nuns in this book matt yes and yes. uh <laughs> and you've got uh, uh neanderthal yeah. from the underworld uh yes it's a, it's a really uh, odd bunch. He, he just seems when, to collect them, doesn't he? When you put it that way, it sounds rather strange. Imagine if you were <laughs> describing the Jack West series to a, uh, a non-Matthew Riley reader. They'd be going Neanderthals and foul-mouthed nuns. Yeah, no, I, want, I wanted the nuns. The nuns were important in this one. Uh, I, I wanted to create a, uh, an order of nuns who were like the female version of the Jesuits. Uh, you mentioned my high school before. I went to a pretty strict Jesuit high school. Uh, and my nuns, they do trace their lineage uh, back to the Vestal order in ancient Rome. And this is one of the fun things about the whole Jack West series. I get to tap into 
all the ancient myths and civilizations that have been around our world, and I just find them fascinating. As for the as for the odds assortment of heroes and the family, you got it right. It's a family, and it, to put it into context, the Seven Ancient Wonders came after I had started the Scarecrow series, which was the one that began with Ice Station in Area Seven and and the book Scarecrow. And the book Scarecrow that was at that point it was the fastest and most intense book intense book I'd ever done. But the Scarecrow books were filled with these really hardcore soldiers. And, and with Seven Wonders, I was almost taking the mickey out of myself that as Jack West, who's this, you know, gung-ho action hero man, saves this little girl with his group of soldiers, the little girl transforms them into a family. And she changed their names from, you know, Saladin and Archer into Pooh Bear and Stretch and she softened the Jack West military family. And I get a lot of fans wanting more Scarecrow books and I'm, I will go back to Scarecrow, but the Jack West books have a different tone to them. And it's because, as you say, of, it's, the, it's the family thing which takes the hard edge off them and I think makes the audience cheer for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only that, Matt, there's, there's some really intense bad guys. <laughs> So in this, oh, in yeah. this novel, in this novel yeah. uh, Jack West uh, is in a race against time. Uh, he's essentially got to solve a, a bunch of really difficult stuff that he, he, his whole team doesn't even have their heads around at the start of. Uh, and it's yeah. mind-blowing stuff. And it's all to event. Uh, it's all to prevent this event that's going to just end it all. Yeah. Um, and to, to do that, he's got to get his butt onto uh, a throne. Uh, and there are some other people that are seeking that throne for some far more sinister purposes, oh, yeah. aren't there? Yeah. Well, I, this actually does... It's funny you, you, you mentioned contest. And um, one of the things I learned in contest was you can, have your, you can have a villain in a story, but a story can be even more fun when you've got lots of villains. And with Two Lost Mountains, we've got Jack, and he's up against these, these royal kingdoms, which were, which were revealed in the four legendary kingdoms, and a, a fellow named Sphinx, he wants to rule the world. But then you've got this order of you know, monks who are misogynist monks, and they want to rule the world, but they want to subjugate women. And bringing in a new villain in Two Lost Mountains, um, a, a general from the, the royal world, uh, I don't want to spoil it uh, for the fans, but let's just say his motivation is completely out there. And he's a guy you do not want to go up against. And I have, as a storyteller, I've, I've spent the last five books stacking the odds against Jack West Jr. And in what separates the two Lost Mountains from everything that's come before it is you now start to realise just how far behind and how far up against the odds Jack West is and I really want people to be reading this book and saying he has to do that how is he going to do that how is he going to beat these guys and it takes me two years to write these books so I have to <laughs> yes. figure it out and and so yeah it's um, I'm glad you enjoyed the villains because the villains are fun to write and to try and make it completely impossible for Jack that's the plan. 
yeah, you get that just in chapter one. Uh, I've got to ask you now about this crazy prose style of yours, man. Um, yeah. It's your writing is so spare, and it's 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 plain to see you know, how how film inspired you from the first instance because mm. it reads like a film script in places. Uh, every sentence is doing a lot of heavy lifting, and the, this this ratio of prose to dialogue is really low. Uh, yes. Is that just the way Riley writes, or or, or do you sort of Ooh. go crazy and write something that looks like Moby Dick, and then spend two years? refining it to its most potent and uh, chemically active properties? It's, it's a little bit of both. There's a lot of refining. Anything that doesn't have to be there gets cut. That is, that is rule number one that I have. And, and it's actually a rule when people ask me about writing, I tell them most people overwrite their first book. Go through it and cut, cut, cut. You'd be amazed at what doesn't have to be there. In terms of the, the sort of the cinematic visual quality of it, I just felt, and it goes all the way back to Contest and Ice Station, and I've always done this. I always enjoyed visual books. I loved Michael Crichton. I thought Jurassic Park, the book, was as visual as the movie turned out to be a few years later. And I did learn, I actually read screenplays way back when I was starting writing my books, and I actually still read them to this day. Screenwriting and novel writing are different arts. And... I think the novelist can learn a lot from the screenwriter because a screenwriter does in about five words what a novelist often does in about 10. And as you say, I do a lot of heavy lifting in a single sentence. Uh, interestingly, there are the diagrams in the books uh, and in Two Lost Mountains, there are considerable diagrams, especially with this, this, this concept I created called the falling temple where Jack has to perform this, this feat uh, while he's plummeting down this shaft on, a, on an ancient temple falling into the, uh, the bowels of the earth. And the diagrams help people read more quickly. And yes. I, I don't want the diagrams to be works of art. I want them to be very simple because I want you, the reader, to still imagine them. It's got to be your depiction of it. But a picture tells a thousand words and those diagrams, uh, a thousand words is three pages. So I save three pages just by one diagram. So yeah, those diagrams help with the visual. Yeah, because I open, I open up your books and you know, I see all these maps and photographs and, and, and these diagrams especially, and you know, the first reaction is to think, oh, why, why, is, why is all this stuff in here? Why, why, why isn't the reader able to imagine that on their own? But then when you read the diagrams alongside the words, you, you see yeah. that what, you, what you're designing for us is a shortcut. Yeah. So then yes. you can just lose all this expository stuff. You don't have to have the background yeah. characters standing next to each other explaining what's happening. Ah. <laughs> well, um, uh, you I'll just give, give it to uh, us so we can then just colour it in and you can get straight to the helicopter chases and decapitations. Well, and there are, there are several issues that raises. I think the audience now demands that. The audience assimilates information far faster now in 2020 than they did back in 1998 when Ice Station came out. The audience gets more sophisticated. And so they demand that the, the book moves more quickly. And I'll give you an example. Back in um, the Four Legendary Kingdoms, uh, where Jack had to go through these sort of devious challenges, there was a wall maze that he had to navigate. And there were 
two bad guys in the maze who would kill him. There were water wheels on the sides and there were trap doors all through this maze on the side of this stone wall. And we, I did a drawing, which we then gave to a professional artist who redid it. But it was pretty much my drawing. And it was two pages. It was a two-page spread of this giant maze. And it was like the old placemat you got at McDonald's where you went through the, the maze with your pencil. And that, ma- that picture saved me pages mm. of exposition. And I think the readers dug it. They could always dog ear the page and go back and check it. But we actually did little extra diagrams showing Jack's progression. So, yeah, that's, that helps the, visual, the visualisation for the reader. Yeah, and when you make everything so spare in terms of the workout, the, the details you do put in, uh, they really yes. stay with the reader. Uh, you know, I yes. mentioned decapitations yes. before. You know, Matt, no one, no one just dies in your books. You know, yeah. uh, that it has to be that they, they get turned into stone or, or yes. they, they have their head wrenched from their body and, and you describe for us the the wonderful sound of the, the tearing and the snapping and the fact that the spinal yeah. column snakes out of the neck cavity. Yeah. Um, I've got to ask you, man, are, are you okay? Like, did you play yeah, too no. Mortal Kombat when you were a teenager? You know, it, I'd like to reassure everybody that I'm a very well-adjusted guy. I, um, it's, no, no, I, 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 can even, I can even take it back. Back to when I was about... Oh God, must have been about 18 when I read Jurassic Park, um, which was a, was a pivotal book for me to read because the deaths in the book of Jurassic Park are really quite violent. The, it is, you know, people's guts getting ripped open and there is blood and gore. And I learned that in a book, as opposed to a movie, where a movie you might see people getting shot or you might see little you know, spouts of blood or something, with the books, I want, I want death to be something to be feared. It has to be awful because I want you, the reader, cheering for Jack and Zoe and Lily and these characters you've been with for six books in some cases. Yeah. And if, if death is this awful experience, you're like, I don't want that to happen to these guys. And as you know, I have a reputation for killing off much-loved characters and... I take great pride in that and I want that to be sudden and shocking. And I want readers to go, oh my God, he did that to that character. Nobody's safe. And so, yeah, I'm not a violent person. I don't like to glorify the violence, but I want it to be a little frightening. I want people's blood to chill a bit. Yeah, it all comes back to that raising of the stakes. Um, and, I- and it's also... As I say, the audience gets more sophisticated. Yeah. They, they get immune to... You never want an audience to say, oh, yeah, I saw what was going to happen. I knew they'd be okay. If they pick up a Matthew Riley book, I want them to be going, uh-oh, I don't know what's going to happen. That's, that's the challenge. And these books are um, these potent cocktails of history and mythology and just invention. Uh, yeah. How do you bring the threads together? Do you go researching ancient history? Do you go in person to these incredible places like the Vatican and yeah. Red Square? Or, you know, you mentioned before Mont Saint-Michel, which is this incredible yeah. um, cathedral island off the coast of Normandy. Uh, yes. Yeah, how, how, do you, how do you bring it all together? 
Yeah, well, when I started writing Ice Station and Temple, I was going to my local public library. I was a university student, couldn't afford any, couldn't afford to go to Antarctica, still haven't been. Never been to Peru, where Temple is set, around the Inca Trail, Machu Picchu, never been there. As the books took off, and especially with the Jack West series, I have been to the pyramids. I've been inside the Great Pyramid. I've been to Stonehenge. I went to Easter Island. The pyramids are the best place in the world. Easter Island is second. It's weird. Um, and the books get that extra element of texture and authenticity by, going, by me going there. Um, I, I went to Chichen Itza a couple of years ago uh, in Mexico uh, for the, the Mayan temple there. And again, you can just get these little bits that, you know, you don't get when you're reading the books. The other thing I find, and it's, it's, it's good that you mentioned Mont Saint-Michel because I, I traveled there. Uh, that was just stupendous. And I assume, and actually I learned this when I read the Da Vinci Code way back when, what, 2003 or so, that I assume readers will be Googling now as they read my books. And I think that has meant that I actually have to be more historically accurate now than perhaps I was 15 years ago, that people will Google, you know, I want them to look up Mont Saint-Michel on their phone, which should be sitting next to them when they're reading this book. And they go, oh, that's what it looks like. So again, if I'm proud of anything in, in my work over the last 22 years, it's trying to keep up with the modern audience. And now you have these fans around the world. I, I wonder, um, do, do you find people coming to your, to your work for different reasons or, or that they enjoy different elements of your books? You know, do, do fans in Australia uh, differ to fans in America, for example? Actually, no. No, you'd find that they're, they're pretty similar uh, worldwide. Um, when I've done talks or book signings, the, the makeup of the audience is similar. Um, it's mainly adults. If I had an audience of 100 people, there may be, you know, seven or eight teenagers. Mostly right. my audiences, and it's a total mix of male and female. Um, it's interesting, I suppose, for myself that I've ventured out occasionally with books like Hover Car Racer or Troll Mountain or even last year, The Secret Runners of New York. Uh, Hover Car Racer is designed for kids and Troll Mountain was designed for younger readers. Uh, and so they, they bring sometimes a younger... So in, in a crowd of 100 people, there may be a young 10-year-old in the front row and when we ask for questions, this little hand goes up and he's asking about of a car racer or troll mountain and i love that that's just that gives me joy yeah and, it, and i guess there's something just truly universal about the appeal of of action uh yeah and, and that's yeah. why these these film franchises are just they're translated into every language and they just cover the globe um and so it, do you books. All, <laughs> well but it's also what i've i've also learned you can't fake it you, mm. if, if you want to write romance, you should write romance. If you want to write something which is deep and cerebral, that's what you should write. I love action. I live and breathe action. The, I, I'm literally um, writing the next, the final book right now. And mm. I've got the single biggest damn action scene I've ever written in any book. And people are going to read it and go, how did he do that? And it only becomes because I just when you finish a series, and I've never finished a series before, you want to go out with a 
bang. And, you know, I, I learned from Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. I'm, I'm watching these movies on the first weekend they're out. So that you can, action is universal, but you're not going to see the Matthew Riley book of poetry anytime soon because poetry readers would spot me as a fake. And I can't, you can't fake the love of action. I, yeah, I, I dig it. I, I just love it. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you're writing the new novel now, uh, the final in the Jack West series. Uh, you yes. mentioned in the uh, notes at the end of Two Lost Mountains that it's going to be a, quote, doozy. Uh, <laughs> so do you, have, do, you, do you have it all scoped out? Are you, are you sort of like working to a plan and you now you just have to sit and, you know, imagine how this character is going to get dismembered by that mythical beast and how that's going to sound and smell? There, there, there are going to be some uh, melting body parts uh, oh, in the last book. Uh, just, just, just in case you're not completely grossed out already. Uh, no, the plan, the plan actually began when I started work on the Three Secret Cities. Four Legendary Kingdoms set it up. And then the plan was Three Secret Cities, the mountains, and then the last one. And so I'd had that sort of mapped out broadly. And yes, I do have the last book completely planned out. Uh, and I'm, I'm literally about to write this just colossally gigantic action scene. Uh, it pains me not to sort of spoil it, but I can't. And uh, it, it's, again, it, I, I'm rambling here, but it's a very interesting thing to think about finishing a series. Uh, for the Scarecrow books, Scarecrow's like James Bond. He can go into lots of adventures and pretty much... I, I stopped aging Scarecrow a few books ago. I didn't want him to get old. I just decided he's not going to age anymore because I want to keep writing about him forever. But with Jack, this is going to be a seven book series. And I actually was researching television shows that ended successfully. You know, what did people find satisfying about Breaking Bad that it ended the way it did or uh, The Sopranos or Seinfeld and I'm really, I've really been working hard to figure out how to end it. And I'm convinced it comes down to the lead character, Jack West, and isolating exactly who he is and putting him to the ultimate test. And it, it's, uh, things, things are getting pretty hairy <laughs> in the last book and it's all set up in this one. Oh, I'm just thrilled for you. It, it sounds like you're in that, that deep, low state where it's all it's all coming together <laughs> you can also see this look of trepidation in your eyes of how am i going to do this um i'm yeah. just uh, i'm i'm really looking forward to this and and i know that there's just going to be so many fans around the world that are, are waiting for it so i won't take any more of your time i'm going to let you get back to it matt uh thank you for joining me uh over zoom on the booktopia podcast and um yeah it's been an absolute pleasure Great. Great to talk to you, Ben. I hope, I hope everybody enjoys the book. I, I had a lot of fun writing it and uh, I, I really hope people get enjoyment from it. You can get The Two Lost Mountains and all of Matthew's books from booktopia.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget... You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, 
for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.